Athletic. club like Chelsea, you can't afford many 4-1 defeats away at clubs the size of Brighton. There's only Newcastle at this stage who haven't won the league from being having this amount of points and being top of the Premier League. I thought it was the, the latest sign of Van Dijk just not being the player that he was. You don't get a bigger ego than Ronaldo and you know he's winning that particular battle because it is a battle you know, between the two of them. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Dan Bardell and it's time for the Weekend Preview. I'm joined by George Ellick, Bet365 Steve Freeth and the Athletic's Tim Spears. Coming up, we'll look at Arsenal. Will they pass their latest test as league leaders away to Chelsea? Tottenham, fresh from their midweek Champions League high, take on Liverpool. Unai Emre makes his Premier League return. City welcome Fulham and Frank Lampard's Everton take on Brendan Rodgers' Leicester. All that's here to come on the Weekend Preview. So guys, the first game that we're going to talk about today is Chelsea v Arsenal, which is the Sunday 12 o'clock lunchtime offering. Graham Potter's first defeat last weekend on his return to Brighton. Not not really the defeat he would have wanted. I mean, you never want to have a defeat, but going to his old club will not have sat well with Potter at all. George, did we, we see that coming at all? I mean, Deserby's Brighton, they had been... They've been perhaps a little bit unlucky and were maybe due a win, but did we see the velocity of that defeat coming? I think if you go back and listen to this podcast last week, um, maybe saw it coming more than most. Um, you know, it did feel like a game between two sides where one in Chelsea were getting results whilst playing badly and one in Brighton who were playing really well and not getting anything. So, um, you know, it might surprise that those listeners who might not be into kind of the gambling side of things that Chelsea were any marginal favourites to win the game. Brighton were kind of 9-4, to 2-1, to one, I think, with Bet365 to do so uh, before the game started. So they weren't even massive outsiders. I think that the manner of the victory, you know, Chelsea have, have always been, even at their worst, a very solid defensive side, certainly under Thomas Tuchel. Graham Potter, for all of the credit that he gets for his job at Brighton and the style of football they played, Brighton's success was also built on a very, very solid defensive line. So for Brighton to go and score four against them was pretty galling. Chelsea basically couldn't live with them. So yeah, I guess no one expected there to be a thrashing here, but I think the, the writing was maybe on the wall for, for that this was going to happen at some stage for both teams. And I am still very excited about Brighton's Deserby and, and what we're seeing at the moment in just a short amount of time. I think they are going to be the entertainers of the Premier League in terms of the style of football they play and the goals that they score. It was interesting to see that you know, after Welbeck, um, you know, we mentioned last week how he had 3.5 expected goals this season so far and hadn't scored yet, how he was taken out of the team. And it was just a really fluid attacking system where players were, were able to basically pick, take up positions wherever they wanted. And Chelsea couldn't really live with it. And for Chelsea and Potter, as a very much paid up member of the, of the Graham Potter fan club, I'm sure he will sort it out. But I think the signs are fairly worrying. I think the performances have, have been pretty poor now for the last couple of weeks. Um, I think that even in midweek, going 1-0 down to, to Dynamo Zagreb in the, in the Champions League, although they pulled that back with a very strong team out, things haven't quite clicked yet for him there. We know that in top jobs, um, if things don't initially go well, it's hard to kind of turn that ship around. I'm sure he will. He's, he's too good not to. But I forecast this won't be a one-off blip I don't think for Chelsea I think if they can if they don't improve we're going to see more difficult results them in coming yes Steve as someone who's used to, to taking abuse you'll have seen Potter getting some going back to his old club but he looked a bit a bit shaken by it I, I thought Kukureya as well looked, looked visibly upset on, on that return did you think that played a part in the game at all well I think from a, well, a personal pride point of view I think 
listen in this modern day of, of social media i think we're all aware of the stick that people get some more than others you know they've been in the game long enough to appreciate surely they would have known going there that some fans would have been extremely frustrated at the way that it happened to leave their football club. Football's tribal. You know what it's like. It's their club. You know, you've left them. You've gone on to big and better things. They're just interested in Brighton. They're interested in their own football club. And these days, you're going to get stick regardless of the job you've done. I'm afraid that's where we are in football at the moment. Tim, I mean, someone who's who's deserted a sinking ship this this season to move to be to be a London to be a London. <laughs> London <laughs> I was in the away end at Sellers Park a couple of weeks ago. That is, I'm not. That's not a deserter. I know, I know. I just wanted to get a little Wolves dig in on you early in the podcast. How much as he could desert, that's why he's saying it. <laughs> well, I did, I did last weekend, let, let me tell you. But anyway, and enough about that tribalism. Chelsea, though, Reese James, injured at the, at the moment. Chelsea obviously spent a lot of money to get in some competition in Kukurea with, with Ben Chilwell at left wing back. And you, you couldn't have foreseen that, that Reese James would have picked up such, such a bad injury. But it does seem a little bit short-sighted that they don't really have a replacement in their team. I mean, I'm not having Sterling and Pulisic as, as effective wing-backs at all. And De Zerbi wasn't either. And that's where, you know, a massive no. part of the game was won. I mean, it's, it's a fine line between, you know, he's, he's obviously an experimental manager and, and that can be a strength, but there's, you know, it's a fine line between genius and insanity. And uh, we perhaps crossed over that line last week. Kukurea, his form is definitely a massive concern. Price tag looks like he's weighing heavy a little bit. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, Potter can see that. And then he's got Sterling helping him out defensively. That's just, just, it's not going to help. He was left completely isolated against Solly March. Similar story down the other flank. You know, Potter's now talking about having to go through pain here. The process of pain, I was seeing him say last week, you know, we need to learn from this and be better. This is just a normal part of an evolution. But a club like Chelsea, you can't afford many 4-1 defeats away at clubs the size of Brighton. He's not going to get as much time as he got at Brighton to go through this pain that he talks about. So yeah, I, I think at the moment, two massive signings in Kukurea and Sterling going through very lean patches. Obviously, they really miss Reese James. Sterling can definitely be a part of the solution, but he hasn't had a shot in three games now, which is pretty scary for a player of his talent. So that, you know, they've got to, he's, he's got to learn to get the best from him and that's got to be in a forward area. It can't be out on his effective wing back anymore. No, and Arsenal, George. I mean, squad depth is maybe one thing you can level at Arsenal in, in terms of the title race. Would they have the squad depth to compete and, and really go for the title? But then last weekend against Forest, from nowhere, Saka gets injured. Reese Nelson comes on and, and bags two goals. Someone who you would have thought probably wouldn't have much impact on the Arsenal squad this season. But he looked good. He looked really good. I kind of assumed that Reese Nelson was on loan somewhere in Europe until he came on and suddenly bagged two goals uh, for Arsenal. You know, he is a player who... I remember I had to write a profile on him five years ago and um, had to, you know, watch a lot of youth team games in order to do so. And he was the like, he was the shining light for Arsenal at the time. He was basically the player that everyone thought would be what Bakayo Saka has become. He was meant to be this English homegrown Arsenal talent that the poster boy for the new era. And for whatever reason, it, it hasn't worked out. Um, but there's no denying how talented he is. You know, we've seen him certainly at Hoffenheim back in 1819. So we're already going back three seasons, but he was very, very effective there in the Bundesliga and came back to Arsenal with, with the hope that he was going to be able to step up to the plate. That didn't happen. Had a, an okay spell at final last season, but there was very little to suggest that he was going to be able to, to, to make an impact, especially given how Arsenal themselves have progressed basically since uh, he was last in, in the, in the first team fold. But, I think what you're seeing here is when you've got a team who are full of confidence, when you've got a manager in Arteta who is at the peak of his powers from what we've seen so far, um, for Nelson to come in and slot into a side where he's got Martinelli on the other flank, where he's got Jesus playing inside him, Odegaard playing as a 10, Shaka playing the best football he's played in a long time. 
you know, that breeds confidence and being involved in a, in a winning camp. You know, it's easy to now sit here and say, you know, it, this is the reason why. But Nelson now, having scored two goals, we don't know the extent of Saka's injury. It seems like it's not as serious as it looked on the day, which is great news for Saka, Arsenal and England. But you have to think that now Nelson is going to get more of an opportunity to show what he can do because for, for Arsenal squad depth, to have another homegrown talent who they can rely on to play in that front three would be, would be a massive benefit for them. Yeah, came from nowhere as well. Not really been seen at all this season. Tim, Arsenal have had only one Premier League defeat this season. That was a way to Manchester United at Old Trafford. Is this game now their biggest test since then, despite Chelsea looking a bit patchy the last week or so? Uh, yeah, it is. But as you suggest there, it's, it's a pretty good time to play Chelsea. And we know that Arsenal are going to go there full of confidence. It's the obvious standout game of the weekend. I can't wait to see how Arsenal get on. Very City, Graham Potter's team selection again after the after the Brighton defeat. Um, the crazy thing about Arsenal at the moment, I was reading this week that basically at the current scoring rate, they'll score 95 goals this season, which is, um, you know, you don't expect that to last. But still, you know, we, we were talking last week about Jesus's goal drought, which I think now is at seven games. Well, he's only scored five. That for me is a really good sign that others are chipping in and, and, and you know, they're not far off aiming for a, a hundred goals. Like I said, that's unlikely to happen, but still Jesus has got seven assists, which is just as important because, you know, he's helping others contribute. You know, he didn't score last week, but he set two up. They won five nil. Reese Nelson said it was like playing FIFA. Steve Cooper said it was like Forrest were like playing FIFA with if Dan Bardell was playing with them, apparently. Um, <laughs> That was okay. I, that was okay. I'm just. I'm going to get a couple in today, Dan. You know, you've, you've riled, riled me with that dessert comment. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, they look great at the moment. Very interested to see how long they can keep this up. But you know, they're they're certainly in the title shout, and really looking forward to seeing how they get on against a team of Chelsea's quality. Yeah, Steve. If Arsenal are still top at the break for the World Cup, do people then start to give them real credibility as as title challengers? Me personally, I, I think they are challengers. What, what's the market say? No, they're not, Dan. Really, I think. It's a very good. It's a very good point that you raise because when I speak to people, non non betting people, they think, "Oh, must be good. You got a title race this season." And you go, "No, Manchester City are one to six, and Arsenal are seven to one." And they go, "What? They're two points clear." You know, there's only Newcastle at this stage. You haven't won the league from being having this amount of points for, for being top of the Premier League, and <clears throat> it's just the way that our model is. I think it's the way the betting model is. Dan, just for example, if. If Arsenal and Manchester City played at the weekend at Wembley, 90 minutes, Manchester City would be odds on uh, to win the game in 90 minutes. The gulf between Manchester City and Arsenal would be the same gulf as it is now between Arsenal and Brighton, should they be in a title race. So it's it's a bit like Arsenal and Brighton being in a title race. Arsenal are far superior, we think, to Brighton, yet we think that Manchester City are so far clear of Arsenal at the moment. And that will surprise a few people. That's That's where the betting models are quite currently. But from a betting point of view for this weekend, Arsenal have won the last two games at Stamford Bridge. They're around seven or two to win games. They are actually vying for favouritism in this game, actually, which is, let's give credit to Arsenal. They haven't been that sort of price for a while. So top four, yes, they've been back from, what, two to one they were at the start of the season. They're now one to six now. And, and top two, though I think they were 14 to one back in the summer. They're now eight to 15 to finish in the top two. So we think second is very much within their compass, but to win the game, to win the Premier League at this stage, which of course bookmakers have been wrong before. It was only Leicester a few years ago where we got it dramatically wrong. So yeah, that's just from a bookmaker point of view. And Arsenal heading back maybe to top spot in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, the team that we did think we'd be talking about in the title race was Liverpool. They're away at Tottenham on Sunday and definitely not in the title race. 
Tim Antonio Conte celebrated his one-year anniversary this week by qualifying for the Champions League knockout stage for just the third time ever in his managerial career. But that performance against Marseille, in particular the, the first half, was a difficult watch for Spurs fans, I'm imagining. So, on the face of it, they've qualified for the last 16 of the Champions League. They're third in the league with, with a good points total. Although I do think they've got some tough games to come Spurs, if my memory serves me correctly. But it does feel like there is grumblings in the Spurs fan base. Well, yeah, that there have been. We, we spoke recently after the Newcastle defeat. They'd won 10 in a row at home in all competitions. And then they conceded two quick fire goals to Newcastle. And the fans completely turned. I mean, it was mutinous. It wasn't just a few boos. The <laughs> half the stadium was going at them. And they just they'd won ten ten in a row at home. So, I think that the issue for me is one, Conte's currently only signed up to the end of the season, and I, I think that's a bit of an underlying issue with fans. They want to see him committed fully to the club if they're going to endure what they perceive as being you know not as attractive football. So that they'll put up with that style of football, fairly negative counter attacking, not great on the ball. If Spurs are winning, if they look like they're going somewhere under Conte in the long term. So I, th- I think that's maybe an, un- an underlying issue. But, you know, in Conte's defence, they were, like, what, ninth or tenth when he took over, as you say, a year ago. They're now third and they were in the Conference League a year ago and they're now in the Champions League last 16. So you cannot argue with that record. You know, in, in my mind, the last two months he's been severely hampered by a couple of really key injuries, obviously the main one of which is Kulisevsky. He's their only real creative player. It's up to Son and Kane to create goals, but it's also up to Son and Kane to score goals. You know, there's there's not much behind that, as as good a job as Ben Tancor and Hoiberg are doing in central midfield. So I'd definitely stick up for Conte. You know, um, I don't think he's got the squad he wants when they're all fit, but let alone when they've got a, a couple of really key injuries at the moment with Richarlison and now Son is out as well. God knows mm. who's going to play up front on Sunday. Tim, you obviously watch a lot more Spurs than I do. Um, it, it feels to me like the best Conte teams, if you think back to that Chelsea team when he first came in that won the league, think back to his, his interside as well. Yes, they sit off and they counter-attack, but they, they do engage from like a low block, whereas it feels like now Spurs basically sit off, sit off, sit off. And then once they go behind, then suddenly they engage and look like more like a Conte team that we're used to, we're used to seeing. It reminds me a bit of, do you remember... I think it was right at the end of that 17-18 season before Conte got sacked where they played Man City and Man City completed 950 passes in the game and beat them 1-0 and it was just a completely passive performance. It feels like Spurs have already gone into that kind of Conte shell where until they're behind they don't even look to to engage in, in midfield. Yeah, they've definitely got a first half, second half thing at the moment. So the, the last three games they've been down at half time and effectively won all three, but the sporting win was ruled out for that ridiculous VAR decision. But, you know, they were mm. one nil, one nil down at Marseille in the week and played so badly. And then they won the game. They were two nil down after an hour against Bournemouth and won in stoppage time. I was saying on our Spurs podcast this week, I'm convinced it's, it's deliberate. Um, he thinks he's got the fittest team in the league. You know, you may have seen the players uh, running so hard that they were thrown up on the side of the pitch in Asia in pre-season. He thinks he's got the fittest team. And I saw Nuno do this at Wolves because he thought the same, that they take it pretty easy in the first half. They try and rely on a solid defence, get in nil-nil at half time, and then they overwhelm teams in the second half with their superior fitness. The problem starts to fall down when you've got a leaky defence of Spurs have at the moment. They've gone behind in 11 of 19 matches this season, believe it or not. So it's a real testament to their, yes, to their fitness, but also to their character that they are coming from behind. I mean, if you saw the latter stages of the Marseille game, you know, Son's already off, Benton Cole's done his hamstring, and then you've got Hoiberg, who I, I thought was properly injured. And I think he genuinely was injured. And then two minutes later, he's sprinting clear to, sc- to score the winning goal. You've got Kane bleeding. You know, they're, they're massively playing for Conte. They believe in his methods and, 
I think the massive thing at the moment for Spurs is just getting through this next couple of weeks. Um, it's proper walking wounded out there. And unfortunately for Spurs, they're going to have about 10 players at the World Cup. Now, that's a similar number to Chelsea, Man City, Man United, but Spurs just have not got the depth in their squad at all. Son is undergoing surgery. I think it's, I think it's a fractured eye socket or something similar. Yeah. Um, if he's sort of ruled out at the start of the World Cup but comes back in sort of, you know, mid-December, that's not going to be the worst thing for Spurs. It would be devastating for Son. But, you know, if, if he misses the World Cup but he's still available to play when play resumes here, that'll be a big thing for Spurs because um, he's just not like the same player at all. Talking there of Spurs liking going behind... Liverpool seems to like going behind as well. Behind again early last week against Leeds. Ended up losing the game. They've lost four games already this season, Liverpool. Only Southampton and West Ham have fallen behind in more games this season. This is just not the Liverpool and the Klopp that we've known. No, they've been losing at half-time uh, six times, Dan. So I had a look at the half-time league and they were 18th in that. Um, so that's a, that's a, a slight concern. And I suppose also... Losing to a side like Forest, who had not won in ten, and Leeds, who had not won in eight, would be a you know a huge con- concern for them as well. This is like a crazy game. Two sides that like to go behind. I was looking at maybe you know, George would be aware of this, like the switcheroo, like a half-time, full-time. Maybe do a bit of Tottenham mm. at half-time or Liverpool full-time, and 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 mm. and, and, and the other Can way around. Both I mean, to lose. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it's. I really don't know which you know which way this. This game's going to go. Liverpool are still strong favourites down to winning 90 minutes as well at 11 or 10 with Tottenham at 9 to 4. So we still think all this talk about Liverpool struggling and, 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 and whatever, the market still has faith in them. And you talked about them having no chance of the title. They're still 50 to 1 to do that. So, and of course, Klopp's changed his style. We saw that in midweek as well. And of course, Canate coming back as well will, will be a huge help for them defensively. Who are we blaming for the first? Leeds goal, Gomez, Allison, or Virgil? Gomez for me. I reckon, I mean, I, I personally thought it was Van Dyke. I mean, I thought Allison, obviously, and Gomez aren't blameless, but I thought it was the, the latest sign of Van Dyke just not being the player that he was. He's got, what, a two, three yard head start on Rodrigo, and yet Rodrigo's there so much quicker, and he, he's, he's just not reacting at all to the danger that's there. It just, you know, I'm, I'm sure he will get it back, but. This, you know, first two or three months of the season, he f- feels like he's so far off being that defensive rock that we're used to seeing. He just doesn't have that. He used to be so quick over the first two yards, so dominant. But I find physically. that with Liverpool, every Liverpool player at the moment when yeah, I watch yeah. them, yeah. I, I, th- I think they all look a, a yard or two slower than they have done over, over the previous years. It, it's really strange to watch them as a team. When they when they, pre- they press, it used to be collective and it felt sharp and it felt felt like they all knew what they were doing. Don't see that with Liverpool this season. Can, can I take coming back, George? He's a great defender. I don't dispute that, but they've got more problems than, than, than you know around the pitch. You know, I think Canate coming back will help, but there's still problems elsewhere. There's still massive holes in in that midfield at the moment. And Canate, if he's not a hundred percent up to speed, it may may add to the problems in some ways. Yeah, I think it's big. I do think you know it was his first ninety minutes he played um, of the season against Napoli. They got they they uh, kept a clean sheet. Hit their record with him and without him in the team last season was starkly different um, we talked there about Virgil van Dijk not looking like the player that he was I think often when you have a rotating centre-back partnership alongside you it's difficult to get that consistency I think with Canate back that should be if they're both fit a, a consistent two that should bring up more in his game I think it would also help the midfielders to know you know for Fabinho for Thiago Henderson Elliot whoever when you've got a settled back line uh, it is easier to play so I'm by no means saying that suddenly Canate is going to come back in uh, especially given his fitness issues there's every chance he looks at a yard or two slower as well but 
at a time where Liverpool fans are going to be scrambling for some kind of a boost. I, I do think getting a player back in who is quite clearly elite at his position and had such a, a strong partnership with Van Dijk and they had such a settled back four last season as well. That has to be a big positive. And even if it's just, you know, mentally a boost, just something just to, to provide some kind of spark there has got to be important. So um, I think a lot of Liverpool fans will be hoping that Canate's return will, will, will signify some kind of a, a shift. I think you're both right. It'll obviously be a boost, but I think Dan's right in that it's it's massively a, a team issue here. I mean, Thiago was sort of in and out injured and we thought that'd be a boost. Darwin Nunes was suspended. We thought that might solve a few issues, but it, it's it's the team. And like, as Dan says, they just look off the pace. You know, this the mentality monsters, the heavy metal football, it's just not there this season. You know, we used to marvel at their press, their counter press, their mentality. That's That's all gone. And I guess it's Klopp's dilemma to work out whether they're suffering a hangover from last season when they played as many games as was humanly possible and were fighting on four fronts in May, the most intense season you can actually imagine. And we we should all probably maybe have seen a little bit of this coming, really. I'm sure that plays a part of it. But is it just that or is it the end of a cycle and, and big changes have to be made? I guess that's the decision that Klopp has to make. They're the only side to beat Manchester City and Newcastle, though, this season, aren't they? It's no good if you're losing to Forest no, and Leeds. No, no, no. Oh, they I are understand your point. They're yeah, great, yeah you know, they're a great side, yeah. but... No, I was just talking about yeah, you know, the other side to it, which it feels like that to me as well from my untrained eye. But And and from a, a bookmaker point of view, we still rate them odds on to finish in the top four as well. Really? I'm, I'm, see, I feel like Arsenal getting disrespected in the, in the, in the, in, in the markets... Liverpool again. Liverpool are almost getting too much respect. I know they got previous, but you know, that feels a bit harsh. Yeah, where, where do we think they finish? Because we do have a market on, on on where they will finish this season. Liverpool, I would say sixth. Yeah, that's five to six to finish uh, fifth or lower. Uh, I, I reckon fourth. Fourth still. Well, yeah, four to, four just to one, in terms of where's the most likely position for them to finish, yeah. I still think we still, we still rate them above Chelsea and 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 Spurs quite considerably. Where are you, Tim? Yeah, I think fourth as well. Just I'm yeah. just lo- looking at who else would be in the top four, and I think I think I think it's your current top three, and then it's Newcastle, Chelsea, Man United, and Liverpool fighting out for fourth. I th- yeah. I th- it, it feels like we've got I seven, think, I think seven teams that, fighting for four spots, or well, three spots really. The Man City game, as Steve points out, it proves you know that they have still got it; it is still there, and they do tend to go on really good second half of the season runs. So, yeah, yeah what price Newcastle now? What to finish in the in the top four? In, in the four, yeah, they are five to two. Wow. Yeah, and it's a long old jump to Brighton at 14. So, mm. yeah, look over your shoulders. Newcastle are coming. You've got to think that they're quickly on that 5-2. to two, If Newcastle get in the Champions League, if they finish in the top four, I mean, that's probably that, isn't it? It's hard to see them with the calibre of player they're able to be yeah. able to attract next summer. Stopping. yeah. It's basically 5-2 to two for them to be a... a Single figures for the Premier League next season. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Hello, I'm Taylor Payne, host of the Athletics Newcastle United podcast, Pod on the Time. Aren't we having a jolly old time of it right now? Join me and the Athletics dynamic duo of Geordie writers George Coggan and Chris Woff every week. We'll bring you all the insight and analysis you need on the Mighty Magpies and probably some you don't as well. 
follow and subscribe to Pod on the Time wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. This is the Weekend Preview here on the Athletic Football Podcast and we're now going to look at Aston Villa versus Manchester United which is Sunday 2 o'clock kickoff. Unai Emre took charge of Villa for the first time on Wednesday. The last two games have been a 4-0 win at home and a 4-0 defeat away. Steve, you love talking about the Villa. How, how big a job has he got in his hands? I don't. Well, clearly you're the better man to, uh, to speak to me about this but I felt there was, after that Brentford uh, victory... Yeah, we tend to see you know people going up there. There was an air of expectation. You know, Henry's coming in. Everything's going to be okay. And then you just get pulled all over the place in that second half against Newcastle. So clearly, he's going to have a lot to do. You know, but I spoke when I, I mentioned Graham Hunter previously when I spoke to him about you know the the, the training is just going to be so more intense. The video sessions. He was telling me that players have often have, have, have sometimes fallen asleep during during these intense video sessions so uh, yeah they better be on their toes and, and they were of course fine for that as well the attention to detail is incredible but as a I say a non-Villa watcher I, I, of course I do like to have a look see how the Villa are doing I, I, I'm hopeful he gets John McGinn playing again because he, he was clearly a, a talented boy and we just haven't seen that recently have we under under Stephen Gerrard as well so Interesting times for the Villa, Dan. So I'm sure you're going to tell me now what he needs to do. I mean, to be fair, I've nearly fell asleep a couple of times at Villa Park this season, watching Stephen Gerrard's Aston Villa. So yeah, a lot of sleep pattern going on, talking about the Villa at the moment. Tim, what do you think? I kind of made myself look a bit silly because I've been there saying when they won 4-0 against Brentford, I was saying, I see the players were there and I knew it. I knew it was Stephen Gerrard. And then they go and put in an absolutely horrific second half against Newcastle and get thumped. I get the Newcastle reform team, but some of the goals were laughable. I mean, the, the the important thing with Emery is going to be um, aligned with the hierarchy on recruitment. You know, you you, you need to spend a hundred million just just to move slightly up the table these days, um, or, or 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 get worse as as Wolves have shown. They've obviously got some very 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 good footballers there: Buendia, Coutinho, Bailey, Kamara, Ings and Watkins will score. Cash and Dina, good Premier League fullbacks. Martinez, a very good Premier League keeper. I guess the question is for Emery: you know, can he re- replicate his Spanish success overseas? Which he has struggled to do in the past. That would be the, the question mark over him. I thought he did a better job than Arsenal than the lot gave him credit for, especially when you, you saw what Agreed. followed imme- immediately under Arteta, where they really dropped down the table. But PSG certainly underwhelmed there. And, and I think, was it, was it Spartak Moscow he was at earlier in his career? Didn't do very well there either. So can he replicate that success overseas? And has he got a squad that are willing to endure his methods, I guess that would be one that's way of putting it. That's the bit that's key, isn't it? That's the yeah. bit that he needs to have the players on board, everything needs to be aligned, because unless everything's aligned at a football club, you don't go anywhere. Yeah, he does, and, he, and he's and he's got to do, as we'll get on in a minute, to Ten Hag, you know, he's got to show them who's boss early on, but he's got to back that up with sensible tactics, sensible team selections. You know, the players there will know what's been going wrong. They'll, they'll have been banging their head against um, a brick wall or against Gerrard's uh, door. So, yeah, that's going to be the key. Yeah, we've got some trivia based around Aston Villa against Manchester United. I mean, this first part isn't trivia. It's just a fact that I have to read out every single season. And one day, <laughs> I won't have to read it. Villa's last home win against Manchester United came back in August 1995. There cannot be a worse home record against two Premier League teams. There just can't be a worse record than that. It's absolutely terrible. Ferguson then started to rebuild his squad, which would ultimately win the treble in 1999. Three of Manchester United's treble winning squad also played for Villa at some stage in their career. Who are they? So I don't know who wants to do this. I've, I mean, I've got one, so I'll do Go mine. On. George, you got one? 
Schmeichel. That's the best, best you can do, George. That's that's the obvious one. That's not the obvious I, one. I'm going to be on, honest. George. There's an obvious one, which I'll let someone else say, because I'll admit that before coming on out, I thought he signed the year after. So I wasn't going to say him. But yeah, I'll, I'll let okay. someone else take, take the glory. Steve, no, I'm not, the no, 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 I'm not. I'm not jumping in after last week. Okay, Tim, <laughs> come on, it seems all on you. Come on, everybody's screaming at us. It's Dwight York, for God's sake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's Dwight York. That was that was the obvious one. And then the third one, that was the one that took me the longest to get, but I, but I, but I did it's get it. Has anyone got the third one? He got as many goals as Schmeichel. Uh, Probably, yeah. Do you know it, Steve? Yeah, yeah. Okay, go on, Steve. Go on then. Uh, Ronnie Johnson. Don't be shy. Ronnie Johnson. Nice. <laughs> Cool. Spent a couple of seasons at Villa Park. Yeah. yeah, I don't even remember him scoring. To be honest, I remember Schmeichel scoring. I don't, <laughs> don't, remember, don't remember Ronnie Johnson scoring. But yeah, Ronnie Johnson, good defender, good Premier League defender, defender. Ronnie Johnson. Yeah. yeah, really, really good. Staunton with it, almost fell for Schmeichel. Does and it's in. Peter Schmeichel scores for Aston Villa. Dan, I just mentioned the the market we got on Villa's points against against United. Oh. You mentioned ninety five, of course, and nineteen fifty. Terrible that record. Nineteen fifty four when you did the double over them the last. Yes, I was there. They played the twenty seventh of December and then the twenty eighth of December. Yeah, the, the, those old Christmas fixtures a day after each other. But they are sixteen to one to do the double and two to one to get zero points. And I know which way you're going. Oh, zero points would yeah. I mean Villa. I do fancy Villa to take a point on Sunday against Manchester United just because it's the new manager's first game and the players will be keen to keen to impress. So I, I, I do fancy Villa to take something, but they'll never beat Manchester United at Villa Park. It just seems to be absolutely impossible. Man you have not been great over the last few years either, and still Villa can't beat them at Villa Park. But they're looking good at the moment, Manchester United. 12 games in, Eric Ten Hag has Manchester United a point off fourth place in Newcastle. Tim, what's your overall assessment of Ten Hag's Manchester United so far? Yeah, I think after that, Utterly disastrous opening. He's he's done really well, not not just to steady this shit, but but you know to get them playing again and set some good foundations. I think in, certainly in terms of showing them who's boss. I mean, you don't get a bigger ego than Ronaldo, and you know he's winning that particular battle because it is a battle, you know, between the two of them as to who runs that dressing room. So he's come out of that really, really well. I've actually been quite surprised at how well he's he's handled it. He's got to back that up with his methods, his tactics, and he seems yeah, he seems to be doing that so far. I, I don't think they've got a um, great squad, but I think the recruitment's been a lot better than it has been in the past. And they've got um, they've got a, a manager whose coaching methods and uh, philosophy is is a lot better than than they've had in the last few years. So things are looking up for United for sure. And George, Marcus Rashford enjoying his football again. Really great to see. He was good against West Ham last week. Scored the winner. He's 100th Manchester United goal. Probably a cert for the England World Cup squad now, I'd say. You'd think so, based on form alone. I mean, I think that the fact that he's been out of the squad for quite a long time might make it not difficult, but I wouldn't be putting my house on him to to be in the squad. I don't know if Steve might be able to say what what price he is to to get in. Gamble responsibly, George, please. Thank you. Um, He's got to be in. Do do you have a price? Do you have a price on what he has to go? No, we're waiting for the squad announcement on the eleventh, aren't we? But it will Um, be. Yeah, it will be a long gone time, I would imagine. He's got to be. He's got to be there because he plays wide and can back up a striker as well. I'm I'm definitely not. I'm not. um, I'm not saying I don't think he'll go. I just wouldn't be backing him at ten on if that makes sense. But I um, quite often one of my criticisms of Oligon Solskjaer was the regression of certain players such as Rashford whereas it feels like under in a very small short period of time 
there are quite a few players at Manchester United who are upping their levels of, of regular performance. Rashford certainly being one of them. I thought his goal against West Ham was absolutely not a goal you'd normally associate with Marcus Rashford. You know, a really aggressive, towering leap and a powerful header into the into the corner. It was a player full of confidence, absolutely desperate to get his head on the ball. So different to the player who was so devoid of any confidence that we'd seen over the last couple of years or so. He wouldn't have even been in the box a couple of years ago. No. And then you think two players who, you know, we were told six weeks ago, two months ago, were, were being cast aside at Manchester United in, in Luke Shaw and, and Harry Maguire, both putting in big performances as well, starting the game against West Ham, both playing well, Maguire making a key block, David De Gea making some unbelievable saves in the second half. It does just feel like there is a cohesion at Manchester United at the moment, even when, you know, they I mean, they weren't fortunate because De Gea is, is a key part of their team. But on the balance of play, West Ham probably did enough for a point in the second half. But it was a really united display and a really big three points in the kind of game where you feel like they may have lost that lead in, in previous years. I think Ten Hag's certainly, it feels to me for the first time since that, that you know, the, the season under Jose Mourinho where they, kept, where they finished second, um, has United and everyone there pulling in the right direction. Yeah, Rashford's header reminded me a bit of when you remember when Rooney went on that run of, of suddenly scoring headers from, from nowhere. He suddenly was scoring a header everywhere. I feel like that kind of thing could happen to Rashford. Now, if he shows that desire to get in the box, there was a warning sign for West Ham just before as well. I, I thought Rashford was really good against West Ham at, at the weekend. And Steve, Ronaldo was back in the starting lineup. Is there a pathway to redemption for Cristiano Ronaldo? Well, I mean, if he behaves himself and if he's good in the, uh, you know, good in the dressing room, you would, uh, you would think that the, the manager would, uh, would play more often. It depend, it's, it's dependent, Dan, for me. I know we've got the World Cup coming up and he could put himself on the, st- on the stage there for a January move, but who can afford him if he goes and who can afford his ego as well? I still think it was a, it was a Glazier marquee signing at the football club. And, um, yes, he, he started, I think he did okay against Sheriff the previous game before. He started against West Ham. He had six shots. One of those was on target. You could just see the decline now in Ronaldo. And I think he might play here and there, but I don't see him being a regular feature in Manchester United's uh, team going forward by any stretch of the imagination. Let's look now at Manchester City against Fulham, which is a Saturday three o'clock game. Tim, no Erling Haaland last weekend for Man City, but Kevin De Bruyne stepped up to score. City's expected goals in that game was just 0.7, which is low for, for, for most teams, but it's very, very low for Manchester City. Does that show that they've kind of found a way of playing with Haaland and then when, it, when he's not there, it's almost difficult to revert back? Yeah, definitely. I've seen quite a lot of criticism for that performance, which I, I find a bit crazy, to be honest, because they've gone away at a team um, who's improved of late, <clears throat> Leicester scoring more goals. And they've gone there and won 1-0 in what was a, d- a difficult environment. And Leicester, credit to them, made it really mm. difficult for Man City in the last 20 minutes. And, you know, Guardiola was rightly complimentary of them. So I, I don't really see the issue with Man City going and winning a difficult, difficult game 1-0 away from home. There's obviously going to be a big difference without Haaland because they've changed, you know, their style to accommodate him slightly. They didn't have a striker for a lot of the games last season and, and it wasn't an issue. So they can revert back to that sort of mode. Julian Alvarez, you know, a very different type of player who comes in, did very well in the Champions League in midweek. City march on. I really don't not seeing many weaknesses in their in their game at all at the moment. It's a great free kick as well, wasn't it, Steve? That was one of my favourite Premier League free kicks ever. It's so good. I don't think it's been talked about enough how good that free kick was. Typical KDB. Yeah, what a player. I suppose the narrative is there with no with no Haaland in the side that they, you know Manchester City only only score one and, and and they were going to struggle. In fact, they didn't have um, any big chances in that game. I think Leicester had uh, had one, but 
with KDB in your side, you're you're always going to have that. And I suppose his influence on the team isn't as great as previous seasons because of the influence that Haaland's currently had uh, on this Manchester City side. But he's, the numbers he's creating still are the best in the Premier League, as, as you'd expect. Uh, he's created 38 chances this season, which is the most... 10 through balls, uh, most passes into the area. You know, he's, he's, he's ticking all the boxes in all that and he's putting all the balls into the boxes as well. Obviously, he's got the highest expected assists as well in the Premier League and he's still a quality player. No player has ever won the PFA Award three times. Obviously, Haaland, he's odds on currently to do that. He's, I think he's seven to one second favourite to win it this season, but it's a, it's a tough ask with Haaland on the scene. Just shows Pep's man management as well. Again, again, George, Pep's got so many skills as a manager, but he was talking about De Bruyne not being quite at his previous level, but he'll get there. He's not quite hit it yet. And I thought, you know, he ran that game against Leicester. He was so many good things he did on that football pitch. Yeah, I was pretty surprised to hear him say that. I think not only his match-winning performance there, but also the relationship that he struck up with Harden has been pretty devastating so far. I think, he, as you say, it just shows how good De Bruyne has been. I was quite surprised, I thought, against Leicester. They played quite a weird system where um, Alvarez was obviously the, you know, came in for Harden, but then Gundogan was shifted from his normal kind of left of the three role to playing much further forward. It's kind of the role we often see him play, that force nine role. Um, when uh, last season, especially when they, they didn't really have a striker. And it kind of felt like they kind of got in each other's way a bit. I think Al- Alvarez only touched the ball 13 times. But, um, you know, who am I to doubt the tactical decisions that Pep Guardiola makes? And uh, yeah, it, it wasn't their best performance. I do think there are going to be, not teething problems, but when you go from having a once-in-a-generation physical specimen up front with his finishing ability to, to not having that, there are probably going to be some adjustments that have to be made. But when you've got one of the best players in world football and Kevin De Bruyne able to to score a goal like that, then you know, that's the the way to get past in games where you're not able to create as you normally do. Well, they're playing Fulham this weekend and Fulham are on the fourth longest unbeaten run in the Premier League. They're unbeaten in four since losing away to West Ham. Mitrovic, Tim, has he debunked the myth now fully that he's not good enough for the Premier League? Bit of a flat trap bully in, in terms of scoring a lot of goals in the Championship but then hasn't really done it in the Premier League. Has he debunked that fully now? Yeah, he has. I mean, he's helped by their attacking style of football. I don't know if it's gone unnoticed or underappreciated, but yeah, Fulham have scored five more goals than Chelsea and Man United this season, which is remarkable. Others are chipping in now as well as Mitrovic, which is key. It was just him at the start of the season, but now you're seeing sort of Pereira and Willian really stepping up their games as well, Harrison Reed and others. You mentioned the four-game unbeaten run. I mean, they've had a lovely run of fixtures. It was uh, Bournemouth, Villa... Leeds and Everton have been the last four, so you'd expect that that run to now end in um, in emphatic style away at Man City. But it won't dampen the start to the season that Fulham have had. I thought they were great against Everton. You, you talk about sort of favourite Premier League free kicks. Well, Pickford's was one of my favourite Premier League saves. It was absolutely phenomenal. He's in great form. Fulham had 24 shots that day against Everton, which shows you how dominant they were. Silver's got them playing. They look they're fun to watch. I think they can push for top half this season. I really do. You know that they'll lose at Man City this weekend, but otherwise, I think I think they can push for top half. We were we're a hundred to one for him to get twenty five goals or more at the start of the season. Mitrovic, we're now into into five to one for that to happen. So a massive shift. Yeah, you talk about people writing him off. We certainly wrote him off at the beginning, and it has been a real handful. The, the fact that he's won the most aerials, he's had the most shots. It's um, he's actually thirty three to one also to be the top Premier League goal scorer in the World Cup. So I know that's a big ask with a lot of uh, big names also to deal with as well, which is a new market that we've just released. And they have got Brazil in their group. So that is a big ask. But I'm, I'm really, as a, as a championship watcher, I'm, I'm really pleased to see him doing the Premier League this season. Well, he had 10 shots 
against Everton at the weekend, but of course scored zero because he is in my fantasy football team. You're listening to the Weekend Preview here on the Athletic Football Podcast. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. The last game that we're going to look at today is Everton against Leicester, which is the Saturday tea time kickoff. Everton seem to be the new Saturday tea time team. Only Wolves and Nottingham Forest won fewer games than the three Everton have managed so far this season. They're only three points above the relegation zone, George. But I kind of feel like Lampard has done a decent job with Everton. They've kind of got an identity now. They've made a couple of good signings. I think they'll move up the league quite comfortably. Is that a question? <laughs> well, no. I mean, it's more of an opinion. It was more to say if you agreed with me, George. Yeah, I mean, they're in quite a precarious position, aren't they? Where they are currently in, in 12th. But as you say, they're, they're three points off the relegation zone. Um, with the way that Leicester are turning their form around, you feel like it's you know it's probably two points off the relegation zone, but that's all probably anticipated that Leicester are going to turn it around fairly soon. The, the good thing for, for Frank Lampard is it's pretty rare for a manager to be managing a club the size of Everton, be three points off the relegation zone and yet still have a fan base who are completely united in, in supporting him. And that's where they are at the moment. You know, they are over the moon with him. Um, they they think that he gets the club as, as we often hear. And even though they aren't winning very many games, you know, they've only won three of their 13 games this season. There is an understanding that, you know, he did take over a, a, a club on the slide and, and it's going to take time to turn it around. So he's, he's lucky in that respect. I do think of those five games they've drawn this season, you know, including the game against Fulham. Uh, yes, Dominic Calvert-Lewin scored uh, a disallowed goal, but, you know, Fulham were, were quite clearly the dominant force in the game. And, and that does feel to me to be a bit of a pattern. I struggle to see Everton going into many games this season and, and being able to to blitz the team and, and win comfortably. Um, and, and that could be a bit of an issue, you know, if you're relying on coming out on top in, in kind of tight margin games. But... Yeah, I suppose they did, they did beat Palace 3-0 uh, the game before last. So they have done it and Palace are a decent side. So I wouldn't be expecting them to, to massively improve. I still think they're a side who at the moment are, are one of the contenders for relegation. But, you know, it's it's a big advantage over their rivals. You know, you look at the situation at Leeds with Jesse Marsh at the moment where every win for him is so important in terms of prolonging what is probably going to be a, a doomed reign and, unless things massively turn around. At Everton, that's just not the case. You know, if they'd got beat by Fulham last Saturday, um, there would have been frustration all around, but there wouldn't have been any calls for for a change in the manager and that's got to be a pretty good environment to work in. Yeah, and ahead of the game, former Leicester City man Damari Gray has been speaking with the Athletics' David Ornstein. He's been talking about the differences in the Everton dressing room this season compared to last there's a much better feel around the place this year. I think you can see it just off the back of how, you know, we've performed in some of our games. And I've had to dig deep in the character, you know, within the team. And there were key things that were missing last year, which is why we found ourselves in the position we was in. But obviously it being a new season, it's a fresh start. We've um, brought in some key players, some leaders that I think we might have been missing uh, last season. And, some quality in, you know, attack and midfield as well, which which is key. So I think collectively there's a number of things and 
people like Tarki and Colds who have come in, they've made a massive difference and I think defensively, you know, we've been a lot better, a lot more solid on and off the pitch to have that presence where they get hold of the dressing room and stuff like that. And obviously we've got Seamus as well, mm-hmm. who's been the club skipper for, you know, a long time. So, you know, we have a balance and I think I take responsibility, you know, on the pitch when, you know, I get on the ball and what I do with my feet. Like I said, there's many ways to be a leader and I think for me personally, the team will look upon me to get hold of the game and make things happen at the top end of the pitch. And for me, I'm just working hard every day in training to try and be as efficient and effective as I can. And I think people forget that you're a Premier League title winner as well, which must hold a special place in your heart. Yeah. People probably do forget I was Ranieri brought me on every game and witnessing, you know, what the team was doing was special itself, but obviously coming on in the games and making enough appearances to get a medal and stuff was obviously the icing on the cake. But yeah, it's something I'll always carry and football goes quick. It's, you know, it's quite long ago, but I remember it like it was um, yesterday and the feeling on, don't think I'll ever be able to properly explain. But um, yeah, something I'll always cherish. And I'll be more from David Ornstein's chat with Damari Gray across The Athletic. This is a chance for Leicester to move out of the relegation zone. They could potentially move as high as 12th with a win at Goodison Park on Saturday, Tim. Would that be a fairer barometer of this Leicester side or would you still put them down as relegation candidates? No, I really wouldn't, actually. Brendan Rodgers deserves huge credit for sorting them out. Again, you've got to, we've got to remember the disarray they were in a few weeks ago. and It looked like he was about to get the sack. It, it, it looked like um, the players weren't playing for him. And now, in the last six games, they're, they're sixth in the form table in the Premier League, um, up there with the big hitters. I fully expect them to, to move out of it. That's how I kind of see the bottom of the table, really. I think it's easy to pinpoint teams that certainly have the potential and probably will move out of the relegation battle. You're looking at Leicester... Personally, I think Wolves will move out, especially if they get Lopetegui in charge. I think, I think Dan, stop shaking your head. Steve, stop shaking your head. George, George is doing the right thing, but not shaking his head. Well, I was going to say, yeah, Villa will probably move up, despite the fact I'd love them to stay down there, just to wipe the smile off Dan's face. And uh, West Ham and Everton will be fine as well. I think you're looking personally at Bournemouth, Southampton, Leeds and Forest as four of your guaranteed strugglers I think the rest will move out Leicester being one they score far too many goals and play they got far too many good players to stay down there for long and the recent form backs that up yeah they keep Madison and Harvey Barnes fit you th- you think they'd have too much because they're two exceptional footballers that those two I really enjoy watching both of them so those are our matches to keep an eye on this weekend in terms of the full Premier League weekend though it looks a little something like this there's no early kickoff annoyingly on Saturday but there are four 3pm kickoffs Forest Brentford Wolves v Brighton Leeds v Bournemouth and Fulham's visit to Manchester City as we've discussed and the tea time kickoff is that game between Everton and Leicester that we just ran through Sunday kickoffs with that game at Stamford Bridge between Chelsea and Arsenal at midday. And then there are three 2pm games, including Villa against Manchester United, Southampton, Newcastle and West Ham against Crystal Palace. And then to round the weekend off, it's Liverpool's visit to Tottenham at 4.30pm. Before we go, we've got the time for the six-score challenge. So, Steve, it's over to you. Yeah, million pound is, is still up for grabs. So, six correct scores. I'll ask you three guys, two games each. So, George, I'll I'll start with you, if that's okay. Manchester City, Fulham, your correct score prediction, please. 3-1. And Everton-Leicester? Nil-2. Ooh, 
Okay, Daniel, Chelsea, Arsenal? Ooh, 2-2. Two former European champions going head-to-head, Aston Villa <laughs> versus Manchester United. 1-1, one, one, Steve. Okay. No bias in that prediction whatsoever. <laughs> Talking of bias, here comes Tim Spears. Uh, Tottenham, Liverpool? 1-0. Uh, okay, and Southampton, Newcastle? Southampton, Newcastle, 0-2. Uh, okay, guys, thank you. Very good. How did, did we get on well last week, Steve? No? no. We didn't win a million pounds anyway. I haven't had a million no, pounds no. into my bank account. So. Yeah, I'll be around uh, in midweek with one of those floppy checks for a million. Come on, let's make, it, let's make it happen. <laughs> I mean, you know that if we do, if I submit it and we win, there's no way I'm going to be able to get that money, is there? It wouldn't no, be you, shared it between, you shared it between the three oh. of you. <clears throat> Four of us. Uh, three yeah, of us. Yeah, yeah. What about, what about, what about producer? Well, I don't know, because I feel like, you know, if you work you in a company... You nah, I'm going to take it. Don't get on yeah. and take the million pounds. Unless you're, unless you're secretly you employed by Aston Villa, you're fine. No, no, no. The Bet365, this is a Bet365 show. So if we win, surely right. I'm not allowed to, no, you, not allowed to get no, it. No, you can have it, Dan. You can have it. Oh, I can have it. It's between the three of you. And maybe, we can have it. And, and maybe the producer as well. You might have a ten. You've got to let the producer in the act as well, Steve. Part of the team. We're a team here, Steve. And that is it from us, the team. Mark Chapman is back on Monday with reaction to the weekend's big stories and more. So enjoy all the football this weekend and thanks very much for listening. The Athletic.